Hello and welcome to the Bloomberg Tech Disruptors podcast. In this podcast series, we talk with CEOs and management teams about their views on disruption and how it's driving their decision-making and strategy. My name is Mandeep and with me today is Runways CTO and co-founder Anastasis Dermenides. Uh, Anastasis, uh, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. Great. So, look, I mean, uh, we've had, uh, you know, quite a few of Gen AI pure play companies on this podcast. And really, I think would love to, uh, as a starting uh, point, would love to hear from you, uh, you know, what Runway does, your background, and how you've really honed in on this uh, really nuanced uh, topic around text to video conversion and what you're doing around video-based generative models. Yeah, totally. So Runway is an applied research company. So we basically um, develop the full stack of like a model lifecycle. So from developing and training and uh, creating the research behind the generative models that have been used in Runway to actually deploying them in a variety of creative tools. Uh, so the way the a larger vision is that uh, generative models uh, like text to video, which is kind of one of the most popular uh, use case of Runway, uh, will change how we think about uh, creative tools, how we think about media entertainment, uh, and we'll kind of really uh, democratize the access to these technologies and who can tell those stories, who can create that media. Uh, and Runway, we want to be at the front of, forefront of that, where we both develop technologies, but also we, uh, we uh, kind of spread the word about how, uh, how those technologies and what the potential are. In, in the industry. And, and your background really quickly, well, I mean, I'm sure you were doing a lot of things before you co-founded this company. So really quickly, your background. Yeah, so my background is primarily, it's uh, in a mix of both uh, uh, technology and art world. So uh, I was a backend and ML engineer uh, before starting Runway, uh, but Runway actually started in art school. So which is not the most uh, usual place where AI companies started, but that's where me and my, the other two co-founders, Chris and Alejandro, met, and we kind of started developing, uh, really exploring the creative applications of machine Got it. learning. So, um, I mean, uh, yeah. yeah, so you mentioned text to video, and I'm curious, you know, in the past, when uh, we look at, you know, the innovation around uh, videos and how people, creators use, uh, I, I guess, the latest camera on your phone to generate uh, really uh, nice videos. Like, how is Gen AI really changing that? And, and does that mean you don't need a good camera anymore to come up with, uh, you know, a nice looking video? Uh, in a way, we think of those technologies as a new kind of camera where you don't need to actually uh, uh, shoot the real world, but rather you can just describe what you want, uh, describe a specific scene, a specific uh, situation, a specific description uh, of a specific motion, and then have the, uh, the generative AI models essentially bring those to life. Um, and the main uh, idea is that w this... Uh, the generally the process of creating video and creating uh, um, kind of audiovisual content is very time consuming. Uh, so being able to <clears throat> to shoot on location, to be able to uh, create a video, has been traditionally requires uh, uh, a pretty high budget and pretty 
like a lot of kind of uh, coordination, a lot of kind of resources. So being able to really uh, have those technologies available to you allows you to kind of translate ideas into um, the kind of end result in a much more accelerated manner. So ju ju uh, just to be clear, I mean, um, what you're saying is, is this applicable more for professional video type cameras or even like the camera on my phone? Like, I, I mean, I, I shoot a lot of videos. Honestly, my phone is full of uh, <laughs> uh, videos. So uh, if I have to edit those videos, can I use uh, Runway? Or I can create a video from scratch without even shooting it uh, from my phone. You can do both. So we have uh, different models addressed to different use cases. So we have Gen 1, and Gen 1 is a video-to-video -video model. So that means that you can uh, shoot a video with your phone, and then you can translate into the style of uh, a different style. Or um, let's say shoot uh, a video of an actor uh, in a specific setting, uh, kind of maybe um, uh, kind of having a specific scene in mind, and then uh, really kind of translate into a, a scene in a dif different location or uh, kind of changing kind of a different character. Um, so it really allows you, for, for the video-to-video -video use case, it allows you to take the real world as inspiration and as a source, but really um, translate into something completely different, uh, just based on kind of a text description or some image references. Uh, with the text to video, you, you don't even need that source uh, video input. You really can just just using text, uh, describe what you want and, and really get the final output. Uh, and we see those as complementary. So. In some cases where you need the additional layer of control and flexibility when uh, you can use video to video uh, and then really make sure that the uh, scene captures exactly the kind of motion that you want uh, your final output to have. In some other cases, you might be uh, a text might be enough of a kind of um, uh, description for what the final result would be. So in practice, we've seen people use a combination of those models uh, to, to create the final output video. Got it. And, and maybe we can double click a little bit on what goes behind the scenes, you know, for a model to be generic in nature and solve for so many use cases that you just described. How are these generative video models different from the LLMs that we constantly hear about, whether it's OpenAI's uh, GPT or, you know, Google or all the uh, Meta, Llama, like how, how is the generative mo uh, video models uh, different from that, those? Yeah, so in, in a lot of ways, they're uh, similar in, in, in that they're uh, large foundation models that have uh, are being trained on uh, very uh, large uh, data sets. Uh, the task in which they train is slightly different. So when you see uh, LLMs, they're trained on this next token prediction task. So given an existing text, you just pre predict the next token. Uh, with uh, uh, with uh, generative uh, video models like uh, Gen 1 and Gen 2, uh, they're what, what's known as diffusion models. And diffusion models are learning to uh, uh, essentially denoise uh, a sequence of frames. So uh, you're, you're starting from uh, random noise, uh, and then you're basically progressively denoising that to get to the final output. Um, so the training task is slightly uh, different, but the actual 
um, kind of the, the overall nature of it, which is kind of large models that are very general purpose, uh, is, is pretty similar. So would you say a generative video model also has billions of parameters and tokens and then associated rates or the way you, uh, I guess, construct a model, it's also different? Uh, exactly. So it's um, the sizes differ a bit. So in in practice, um, uh, diffusion models tend to be slightly uh, somewhat smaller, um, okay. maybe one or two orders of magnitude smaller than the LLMs, but uh, essentially they're uh, they're uh, they're similar. Got it. And and it looks like there like there is competition. I mean, we hear about a number of other companies, uh, Midjourney, Dolly, and then you've got incumbents like uh, Adobe, which are obviously uh, you know incorporating uh, those sort of capabilities in their existing uh, suite. So, how would you say Runway is different from um, the competition that I just mentioned? Yeah, I would say there's two uh, areas of that we pay a lot of attention in terms of differentiation. One is the speed at which we're uh, developing new features and incorporating and productionizing research. Uh, at the at the rapid pace at which the AI field is moving, uh, it's really important to have this muscle developed where you can both do the research part of developing those models, but really identify and work together with artists and whoever your audience is to bring those models into products that are actually useful and really address use cases beyond making cool demos. Um, and the other part is this emphasis on building, uh, uh, really not just building kind of basic wrappers around those models, but being building tools that fit into the workflows uh, of, uh, of our customers. Uh, and so the um, th this is why we pay a lot of attention to being a full stack company that both does the research and production is the research. Because unless we have control over developing uh, the models, it's it's hard to make them uh, to really solve for the kind of last uh, uh, percentage of kind of quality that uh, that customers would expect. Um, and unless we're also able to build the products that incorporate those models, um, then uh, we really uh, are not really able to fit uh, uh, fully into the workflows of of of, of, of our users. Um, so. So I would say these are the two points of differentiation. And you know, when it comes to training, is this a continuous process for you? Like, you, do you have to constantly uh, keep fine-tuning and retaining your model for different types of customers and probably use different types of training data? Just anything you can share on that would be great. Yeah, so the way uh, we generally approach training and building those models is there is kind of the base model that's being trained fairly infrequently. Uh, that's uh, that usually takes um, takes weeks to actually uh, train the entire model. Uh, but once you have the base model, then you can adapt it to different use cases. Uh, perhaps you can fine tuning on 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 kind of on uh, the data that the customer wants to fine tune the model on. Uh, or you want to fine tune it for a specific uh, way of controlling that wasn't available in the base model. Uh, so, for example, if we take Gen two, uh, we had the the base model has been uh, improving over time. Uh, but one uh, specific update that we released uh, recently was called Director Mode, and it allows you to control the camera trajectory that in in your video, and that didn't require training the whole model from scratch, but rather uh, uh, adapting the model to this new way of controlling it. Uh, and so we're seeing like constant feedback from customers of 
I want to be have control over the camera movement, or I want to have uh, control about like how much movement there is in video. And those adaptations typically don't involve training the whole model from scratch. They involve fine-tuning the model for those specific ways of controlling it. Got it. And uh, so I, I guess since you mentioned customers, uh, maybe whatever you can share around your uh, type of customers. Uh, we mentioned about use cases up front that you know a lot of uh, people are trying to use this for uh, text to video editing, but uh, anything you can uh, tell us in terms of the profile of your customers and how they are using the product? Yeah, so Runway has a broad audience of, of creators that are using the platform. Uh, from on the more enterprise side, we have um, uh, big ad agencies using Runway. We have media companies, uh, film studios using Runway uh, to create content faster, to, to, to incorporate those generative techniques. Uh, there is a lot of interesting use case that we've seen for the product, and we have 30 different uh, magic tools in the platform that allows you to use those generative models in different ways. Uh, I would say one interesting use case that uh, has emerged uh, with uh, models like Gen2 uh, is, um, so if we think of the kind of whole process of creating a video, just you have pre-production, production, post-production, post uh, and we see those models being used in uh, like all three of those areas. Uh, but uh, a big use case that we've seen for Gen2 has been uh, on the pre-production stage where you really want to quickly iterate over a, like a large number of ideas for how your final like story or a video uh, would look like. And really, this was really difficult to do before you had like, a, you could like sketch out and make kind of simple kind of uh, storyboards of your idea, but really you can see it come to life and you can see all those different iterations come to life and you can kind of communicate that within your team and you can really have a discussion over how the final output would look, but much earlier in the process. Um, so we found that to be a really useful use case for, uh, for models like Gen2. Taking a quick break here to invite you to Bloomberg Intelligence's Generative AI Conference hosted on Wednesday, November 8th from 1.30 onwards. The event will be held at Bloomberg's New York headquarters at 731 Lexington Avenue. The link to register will be in our show notes. Have your customers ever asked you to reverse engineer why the model generated a certain type of output? Or do you have a sense always, you know, why certain output is coming up, uh, you know, with uh, the way the text prompts are uh, being fed into it? Uh, I mean, uh, or, or let me ask you this, uh, how much of uh, a black box element is inside the model that you've trained? Yeah, so I would say broadly in the industry, um, uh, it's nobody has a full like hundred percent understanding behind where like you have an output of a specific model and being able to fully understand how that output came to be. Uh, but you can have a lot of like reasonable kind of educated guesses over why the model behaves a certain way. And we do a lot of work in the what we call the alignment of those models. And alignment essentially means you provide a specific input to the model, you provide a text prompt, and then you get a certain output. How much does the output, um, beyond it being high quality and, and whatnot, how much does the output actually meet the expectations that you specify from the text prompt? And currently, there is definitely limitations of those models. Sometimes they might ignore certain tokens in the input, like they might not fully capture the description that you provided. Uh, but this is an area where we continuously 
improving the model, the, the model's ability to understand uh, not just the visual world, but also the, the link between kind of language and the visual output. And, and so one of the things that uh, always came up in my earlier conversations with other uh, pure play uh, companies like yourself is around uh, just uh, what is being fed into the training data, the copyrights involved with uh, the training data. Is that something that you worry about or uh, how are you addressing this uh, when it comes to uh, the copyrights? And, and maybe uh, on a related note, the, uh, we'll get into the deep fakes as well and uh, how big of a problem you see that uh, right now. So the, the way we approach um, uh, the, the training of those models is, yeah, as, as I mentioned, the, the uh, generally models like uh, Gen2 uh, are are trained on kind of a large number of uh, of, uh, of of input videos. Uh, there is a, a conversation right now about the um, the 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 ways in which we kind of can approach the dataset creation part of uh, uh, the process. And we were we're um, the datasets that uh, those models have been trained on are kind of internal proprietary datasets. And we're constantly working with different uh, and exploring potential partnerships to further expand those data sets and being able to really uh, the more uh, the more wide diversity of this data, the more kind of uh, as we expand the, the data that those models are trained on, we see the performance of those models improve. Uh, so this scenario where we're kind of spending a lot of effort on, uh, in terms of the potential harmful use of techn of those technologies, it's also something that we really think about a lot. Uh, we have an alignment and safety team that's uh, working to uh, identify uh, potential kind of misuse of the technology and really like make the assumption that, you know, like six months from now, a year from now, the results of those models will be much better, more photorealistic. And so the potential of those models to be uh, uh, used in a harmful manner can be increased. And so for us, it's really important to really anticipate those and kind of develop the alignment and safety aspect of those models earlier than uh, the capabilities of those models. Uh, so it's something that we're kind of pursuing on the research side in, in tandem. I mean, can, can you edit uh, like a video that has been generated through one of your models and then refine it, right? Technically, it should be possible. Yeah, so you can take the generated video that comes out of Runway, and then you can further like bring it to another video editing software, make more traditional edits. Uh, so there is, we've seen people basically use a combination of generative video tools with more uh, kind of traditional methods. Okay, and um, I guess uh, the reason why I brought it up is when I look at you know the proliferation of video content on the internet. I mean some. Uh, industry estimates would just suggest like half of the content generated right now is videos and and most of it is user created it's not AI generated given you know the usage of uh, reels YouTube TikTok these services it's all user generated content if I were to ask you you know how you think this will evolve in terms of AI versus uh, user generated content and also how much of your models actually encapsulate the, I guess, the truth of the world in terms of uh, how you can generate different kinds of video content? How, how would you answer that question? I know if I, it's, it's, it's a long-winded question, but would love to get your thoughts on that. 
Yeah, so uh, to address your first point, yeah, video like is uh, a big part of uh, of all internal bandwidth. I think that fifty percent estimate uh, uh, is is correct, uh, and so there is obviously a wide number of use cases potential. And when you we develop the generative media tools to be used in a wide variety of contexts, from storytelling to education to so many other areas that kind of you see uh, video content to, today being used. Um, we assume that just because of the speed at which you can create with generative methods being you know 10x, 100x faster than traditional methods, that most content will be generated within a few years. Uh, and so this is kind of a big kind of assumption that we're making a runway, and that's why we're kind of trying to build those technologies because we see those uh, those big benefits. Um, I think the we we do expect that increasingly they're going to be able to capture. Uh, an increasingly wide number of kind of range of use cases. I would say right now, uh, models like Gen 1 and Gen 2 can be really powerful for, um, let's say, kind of specific uh, uh, for storytelling, for uh, for making videos that um, for uh, capturing part of the production workflow. But as those models improve and as you're able to uh, to describe more complex uh, videos and settings, we can expect to be increasingly being used for things like uh, explaining, uh, like for ed- educational purposes, for explaining uh, specific uh, specific things, or for uh, doing simulations of, of uh, certain phenomena. Uh, we expect that it's just a matter of the like, capabilities of those models, uh, and as those improve, then you you have this kind of wider range of things that you can make with them. Got it. And and then in terms of the adjacent impact of your technology, uh, would you say uh, VR and AR would also fall in the realm of what you guys are doing, or you haven't really thought of that kind of use case yet? There's definitely parallels to it. Uh, it it's not something we've actively focused on, but it to me, it's just a matter of the latency uh, of those models being better so right now it takes about a minute to generate a, a four second video the moment this gets into much more real time frame rates you can imagine a lot more interactivity uh, and that interactivity becomes a lot very relevant for uh, let's say being able to explore a world in real time in vr uh, and generate it in real time as you're exploring it um, so those cases use cases will definitely become possible the moment those models become uh, closer to real time to uh, run inference on. And, and, and in terms of distribution, uh, I mean, I know uh, you guys already have customers, but how are you distributing your technology? Clearly, it's got a lot of use cases, but curious, what's your distribution strategy here? Yeah, so m- most uh, most customers of Runway interact with the Runway's model via uh, our uh, set of tools that are, is web-based and mobile-based. Uh, and it, we have 30 AI magic tools available that you can, uh, we have subscription plan around those magic tools. Uh, and so most uh, most usage that we see in running comes within those tools. Uh, we have uh, other ways in which we're extending the distribution of those models. Uh, we recently announced a partnership with uh, Canva to uh, integrate Gen2 into Canva's design tools. And this has reached a wide new audience of creators that are now able to leverage the same models. Uh, so we're constantly uh, exploring new ways in which we can kind of further reach more people uh, that goes beyond the tools that we have inside Runway. 
Got it. And um, you mentioned pre-production. Uh, curious, um, you know, when, when it comes to that kind of a use case, uh, how do your customers actually visualize the output and how many times do they have to spend in terms of, you know, uh, uh, back and forth in terms of using the model and, and is is training an issue when it comes to using these tools or you think these tools are intuitive enough for anyone to use? Yeah, I think there's definitely a learning curve involved in using those models. I think a big misconception around generative models is that you can, you know, type a single sentence and get an entire like movie that's ready for uh, distribution out. It's actually a very dirty process and it involves a lot of trial and error. The only difference from traditional methods is that you can explore more ideas uh, faster, but you still need to really uh, spend a lot of time iterating, like fine tuning, uh, uh, really uh, kind of, because uh, very often as a creative, you don't uh, always know the final outcome, the final result that you want to create until you actually go through the process of iterating and trying out a lot of ideas. Um, so it definitely uh, is still a time-consuming process, but it just uh, the the number of ideas that you can explore in the same time period really expands. Got it. So uh, last five minutes, I like to you know have uh, a lightning round where we we'll, uh, ask. Uh, I'll ask you a bunch of questions, and so you can keep your answers uh, uh, brief. But uh, I just want to cover, you know, a few more topics with you. So, uh, training versus inference. Which one do you think would be a bigger market uh, five years from now? Uh, inference by far. Okay. Are you supply constrained in terms of the availability of GPUs? Uh, we. Uh, we're not uh, because we've we've established some great collaborations with uh, uh, cloud vendors like Google and AWS. Got it. And uh, what is the most important metric of your business success? Uh, one metric that we use is how many um, how many creators using models like Gen Two uh, have created more than a uh, hundred videos in the past month. And that gives us a sense of repeated usage uh, more than, let's say, if they use the tool at all. We want people to really spend time with those models. And so we pay a lot of attention to this. Got it. What could go wrong with the assumptions that you're making about your business? One, one assumption that uh, we do make to some extent is that uh, generative models will uh, will be part of kind of the entire creative workflow and we really uh, be relevant across all the different stages, as I mentioned, from pre-production to post-production. Uh, it could be the case that, you know, in order to get the funnel like 1% uh, of quality, uh, you actually uh, need to rely on the traditional methods uh, as well. But we don't necessarily see that as um, for having an extension risk over the, the tools that we develop because we still like we still those tools can still be part of the workflow even if they don't uh, replace the entire process how many foundational models or will be there uh, in the next five to ten years uh, if you had to take a guess uh it's it's hard to say an exact number but it's definitely not going to be uh, a handful i think we're going to see a proliferation of those models rather than a contraction Got it. Any misconceptions about runway that you want to clear on this podcast? The main misconception is uh, what I mentioned earlier of uh, 
it, it doesn't uh, runway doesn't make uh, the process of creating uh, easy. It just allows you to explore more ideas in the uh, in accelerated fashion. So you don't, you're not gonna just type a single prompt and get full back your entire funnel uh, outcome. You really will still need to spend a lot of time with the tool to get the results you want. Anastasis, it has been a pleasure having you on this podcast. Really enjoyed the discussion, and uh, I want to wish you the very best for the future. Likewise. Thank you. Thanks a lot.